0: You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. And you are with Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson. Double L team right here <laughs> in the morning, just to wake you all up. Hopefully you had a good sleep last night, enjoyed the refreshing rain, if you're mm. kind of probably anywhere on the east coast of Australia. <laughs> yeah. Uh our sympathies go out to Western Australia, which is um kind of copping what we copped for a few years. Mm. Seems to swap from one side of the continent to the other. But this
1: morning, Lawson, what are you thankful for? So I'm in thankful I I am thankful uh for my internal body clock. I almost said in thankful then, but I'm thankful for <laughs> yeah. my internal yeah, body I'm just clock. I'm kinda of
0: wondering should we invent a new word here? And what would it mean? What is in, in thankful,
1: thankful. So you have
0: unthankful. You have thankful. What's in thankful?
1: I don't even want to use any brain power at the moment to think about what that because could possibly your body mean. clock has
0: gone off. You are
1: here. I'm here. No, I was so, going to say away, so but then I revised it to here. So with radio, um, it, you have a very specific time period. You know, yes. like it, it's very high pressure. It's essentially, last night I made the terrible blunder of plugging my phone into the wall, but not turning the charger on. And so my, my, oh no. my phone died as I was asleep. So I woke up this morning, you know, by myself. And then, you know, I'm like, Oh man, must've woke up before my alarm, you know, picked up my phone, clicked the button to turn it on. And I'm like, it's, it's not on what time is it? It could be any time. It could be like, you know, our show starts at seven. It could be, it could be 9am, even though like it was was still dark outside, but I just had that panic and I like, my phone wouldn't turn on. So I ran out to my computer, turn my computer on and it's like taking a couple minutes. I'm like, Oh Lord, please. And then it finally clicks over and I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay. It's okay. It was 5am. So I'm like, so thankfully my body clock's adjusted and oh, man, I'm good to go for radio. Let's That's fantastic. Get You're listening to The Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Positive news. Lyle, have you heard of the Lights Out initiative or Lights Out programs uh, across the US?
0: Mm, I don't think so.
1: Okay. So essentially what the Lights Out programs are, are to help um, what I found out to be one of the most vulnerable populations in, in America, migrating birds. Oh. So essentially yes. like when birds are migrating across the country um you know during April um and during August you know the those two periods as they're migrating you know they're using um you know kind of celestial signs and you know as they're flying in the sky they're seeing bodies of light and heading towards them because they're trying to find other they're birds they're navigating. Yeah, they're navigating essentially. Um but what this has led to is, you know, because of the population of the world expanding and cities being built, is that this has taken actually a quite a harmful toll on the bird population itself. Because as they're looking for these lights um, and flying into these cities, then they're just being wiped out by buildings and by power lines and things like that. Now um i actually when i initially read about this i was like oh this is this is really interesting because the the r- most recent um place for this to pop up w- has been in philadelphia I- in the united states and also in texas and i was like okay so the, you know these big cities they're you know they're essentially the the council uh you know in in uh with help from non-for-profits a gathering gather you know um landlords from multi-story apartment buildings and businesses and all those kinds of things and they're saying hey can we dim our outdoor lights can we turn off our outdoor lights for for these periods of time and i was like but but isn't I like there's lots of birds like does the bird population need protecting like birds are probably like in my i was thinking like man there's like so many birds around it How could this possibly be a problem? Like, yeah, if birds die, that's an unfortunate consequence. But, like, do they need protecting? Especially after we were talking yesterday about the protection laws that have come out in America for for uh, kangaroos. Kangaroo Protection Act 2021 going before Congress. Yeah. Not Parliament, but Congress. And we were kind of viewing that as Australians. We're like, that's so ridiculous because our kangaroo population is just, like, off the chart. And... It's, they're not even factory farmed either. They're farmed in probably the most humane way, being that they get to live lives and then, you know, harvest no it. Life. But, um, I went on to research because I was, I was thinking that I'm like, man, what does the burr population need protecting for? But apparently, um, according to the, to the journal Science, um, who has done the most Ambitious, um, all encompassing study on the population of birds, um, and how birds function. Um, since the 1970s, uh, the bird population in the United, in the United States and Canada has fallen by 29%. Um, that's massive. That's massive. And this is a reflection of. Pretty much what's going on in the entire world, but yeah, twenty nine percent, and it's continuing to fall. And this is uh, one of the most devastating factors uh, outside of uh, feral cats, as Lyle would like to tell you. Feral cats, and uh, as well, probably you know they've they're saying that uh, pollution and climate change. But yeah, this is a big thing. This is an important issue. Shut the and, lights off at night. Yeah, essentially.
0: It makes kind of sense. Last one out, turn off the lights. <laughs> Why do we leave, leave lights blazing all night long? Makes no sense to me at all. It's just bad for the environment, bad for the birds, bad for everything. Shut them off.
1: Yeah, 100%. I guess, you know, there's there's something to be said in cities, like whether it be advertising or helping planes navigate or not that planes fly low enough yes, often. But, but let's not shut the airport lights off, yeah. the navigation <laughs> lights.
0: There are some lights we do need yeah. to leave on.
1: Yes, of course. Uh, but yeah, this um, initiative, these lights out programs um, being run by non profits and councils, are something that are just expanding all over the us and uh, bleeding now into you know cities um, in Australia. Does this mean they're shutting off street lights, those kind of things? Um, no. Because because no. streetlights are quite low, <laughs> firstly safety, but I feel like the real problem for birds uh, is, you know, high-rise buildings. High-rise buildings, Yeah, yes. I, I think I talked, I remember actually a couple of years ago doing a show with Mon where we talked about how um, the new University of Queensland building in Brisbane, um, it was this huge glass building that they had to put a sheet over because without the sheet, the birds were just flying straight into it and birds were piling up at the front door of the building. Like, yeah, I is... know.
0: It's like the worst <laughs> thing ever. big pile of dead birds at the front of the building. So this <laughs> Not is a, a good, good thing. Look.
1: This is a good thing. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different.
0: All right, so found some uh, some new uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, well, I heard you say this and I was like, excuse me? Yes. New Dead Sea Scrolls? And, of course, when I was in Israel several years ago, you know, our tour guide was like, oh, is there any Dead Sea Scrolls that haven't been found yet? And he says, look, there's never going to be any more Dead Sea Scrolls ever found again because every cave in the entire state of Israel has been thoroughly searched and scraped clean and there is kind of, you know, no possibility that, you know, every Every skeric of that particular land, as far as caves go, mm-hmm. once they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were the greatest archaeological discovery of all time, that's what they're ranked as. Yeah. Uh, every, every available nook and cranny, uh, was thoroughly, thoroughly searched. So, you know, don't go looking at the mountains and going, Oh, I wonder whether anyone's been in that cave. Yes, lots of people have been yeah. there. <laughs> um, so that was, uh, that was what our tour guide said. Well, he was wrong. Oh. So they found some more. These ones, I'm not sure whether you actually class them as amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls because they come from later on. Uh, these are second century.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: they are written in Greek. They belong to; they are portions of the book of Nahum and Zechariah. Whereas the original Dead Sea Scrolls were a library that was created by the Essenes. They were written in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. They were a part of the Jewish religion. These are also part of the Jewish religion, but they're written in Greek, and so you can see this um, strong Hellenistic influence that has come through. They're written, you know, uh, a, hundred, a hundred or more years after the original Dead Sea Scrolls. The original Dead Sea Scrolls were secreted for safekeeping in the Qumran caves when Titus invaded uh, Palestine, uh, Judea to capture Jerusalem. Yes. These ones were secret away, you know, much later, somewhere between 132-136 AD during the Bar Kokhba revolt uh, under Emperor Hadrian. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of in a different category, but they are in the region of the Dead Sea, which is why we still have them today. Yes. They, they also claim they found a, a reed basket there that was 10,500 years old and you would think, well, how do they have artefacts that are this old? Well, I dispute that date uh, based on what the Bible says, mm-hmm. but the reason that things do last a long time there is because you have zero humidity.
1: Yes, yes, of course.
0: You know, year after year, there's no humidity whatsoever at all, so it's like a perfect environment in which things
1: can be preserved. <laughs> My question is, if it's been translated into Greek, and now, of course, we can, we can read Greek, <laughs> we can read even ancient Greek, um, is there changes? Like, has there been, you know, they've read the Book of Nahum and they're like, wow, this is different to the Book of Nahum that we have, you know, in the Well, Dead this is Fl- the
0: question Fl- that everybody, everybody wants to ask and that one hasn't been uh, answered yet. But we do know that from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which predate this, mm-hmm. there's a couple of full stops and commas and that kind of thing that have changed, but that's all.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's just wild. I'm just like like that's incredible, but I just with these particular ones, my question is like did oh, so how much, much what happened when they got translated? Yeah, when they Was got translated, not even lost in trans like lost in translation? Yes. But then secondarily to that like lost in translation or Greek influenced? Yes. Like this thing of like because a Greek person's writing it and, you know, you can never do a perfect one-to-one translation between particularly between uh languages like Hebrew and Greek or from like Greek to English or Hebrew to English there has to be some level of thought for thought yes I'm like interpretation and you know if the person who's translating it is in a Greek context I'm like oh is there anything different but I guess we'll, we'll see. We will, we will, we will find out. Be interesting
0: to follow this story, see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a special type of evil that exists in our world when you find violence that is perpetrated against vulnerable members of our population. Yeah. And uh, it's a special type of cowardice. The Bible speaks about people who perpetrate violence towards vulnerable members of the society and says that they would be better off to have a millstone tied around their neck and dropped into the deepest ocean. Wow. This is a story. That comes, uh, that involves a woman who was 78 years old, Penelope Katsol, Katsavos, uh, who for the last 30 years it's been her job to go and open up her local church in South Yarra, uh, down in Victoria and that's the Church of St. Constance in Helen. This is a Greek Orthodox church, and she's just, just done it every single morning. She gets there before the priest does. She opens up the church, turns on the lights, gets everything ready for the mm. worship service that uh, is about to take place. This was on a Saturday morning, so we're assuming this is like a, an early morning prayer meeting or something like this. really don't know the details of that, but at 6.15 a.m. in the morning, she was unlocking the church when she was attacked, violently attacked, uh, now this is this is somebody who was using a shopping trolley as a wow. walker so she 's seventy eight she 's using a shopping trolley as a walker she 's got a handbag and stuff in the shopping trolley she 's opening it up um, she was bashed, she was beaten she was pushed down the steps um, she was kicked while she was on the ground, and she lay there on the front steps in the pool of blood for about thirty minutes until a street sweeper came past. Um, The guy running the street sweeper saw her there, was able to uh, um, call the ambulance and so forth. And uh, the guy who beat her up, he stole her trolley, her handbag with phone and cash in it, which he then left 400 metres away. Mm. So people are like, what's the motivation for this? Mm. Didn't even take anything. Um, She suffered a broken wrist, a broken hip, uh, bleeding on the brain in a couple of places, but she's actually doing really well and recovering really well. Her oh, congregation, awesome. her congregation, has gathered around her and rallied her, rallied to support her. So that's really good news. And of course, police have uh, some CCTV footage that they have uh, posted up online where you can go and have a look and try and identify who mm. this. is. So they're still in
1: the process of trying. To yeah, this they card.
0: haven't uh, they haven't caught this um, caught the perpetrator yet. <sighs> that is that is it's. Sh- Okay, is evil when you have a man who attacks a woman yeah because they are more vulnerable than what yes. we are that is cowardice it is evil when somebody attacks a, uh, an elderly person that's mm-hmm. another level of evil altogether
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you're adding levels here it's evil when it, when somebody attacks somebody for no reason when they are just going to worship yeah wow they're just going to, to worship God. You know, at a place of worship. And, you know, attacks on places of worship have become very unfortunately common mm. in recent times. Uh, we live in a world that has become very polarized as far as religion goes. We all need to calm down and remember that all of our religions teach us to love each other. Yes. And let's practice that and let's not allow these kinds of attacks to take place let's keep this lady in their prayers and let's hope that the perpetrator is found
1: you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different
0: okay so joining us on the uh, phone this morning is david helped to uh, talk about emotional
2: mental health uh, david welcome to the show good morning guys and good morning to your listeners good to be back
0: Good to have you each week here on the show, David. We've been talking about addictions, and on the subject of addictions, whereabouts are we up to this week?
2: Well, last week we spoke about uh, chemical or uh, drug addiction, and uh, fundamentally talking about some of the causative issues and why people turn to that source of drug uh, primarily To uh, try to reach equilibrium or uh, sanity in their life, but finding out that it actually disrupts all sanity and eventually takes over their life and destroys them.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty. um, That's that's one of the things. I I guess you know, when it comes to addiction, this is one. This is the big reason why we need to really be fighting addictions and avoiding addictions. And I guess avoiding is by far the better of. You know the better option Out of all of these
2: The problem though Is that there are Many forms of addiction That often is Acclaimed by society Like for instance uh, Workerism is a form of addiction And uh, it's great to have Someone in the workforce That is addicted to work Because we get a lot of uh, You know A lot of Uh, Energy out of such a person, but they are addictive as much as what a drug addict is addictive.
0: Particularly if you're an employer, I think that uh, most employers out there would love to have some workaholics working for them.
2: Yeah, yeah. The fundamental uh, definition for addiction is that an addiction is a compulsive dependency upon substance or person or behaviour. In other words, we find so often in uh, workaholism that people find their identity in what they do. And it's very interesting that men within five minutes after meeting each other would ask each other the question, what do you do? Why do we ask ourselves or each other that question? Because we actually value ourselves or we measure our value in relationship to others. And what I found over the many years that I worked with addiction is fundamentally the starting process for any form of addictive uh, behavior, whether it is relational addiction, sexual addiction, whether it is uh, drug addiction or uh, religiosity or food addiction, all stems from uh, the the same foundation and that is a low self-worth. Struggling to find their true worth and the value.
0: Why is it that we have this low self-worth because I guess when I look around, you know I look at myself, I look at so many people around me, addiction seem to be almost universal. Yeah. why then is low self-worth also we would assume almost Universal?
2: interesting that when a small little baby is born, unable to perform, unable to really produce anything for society, they have infinite value. Adding some years to their life and some hard knocks in life, they suddenly experience that they hold no worth and value in spite of the fact that um, they are able to perform so much better, contribute to life so much better. In other words, we tend to shift our focus upon what we can contribute, what we can do or can't do, and the opinion of other people. To answer your question, in short, I would like to suggest that we have moved away from the true source that actually speaks our worth and value. To a source that is unreliable, a source that is, as us, uh, very flickering in, uh, in its stability, in other words, people.
0: And so we could, we could then argue that the biggest contributor to addictions then could be secularism because as we have walked away from God, we've walked away from the true source of our self-value, we've gone into secularism, which has then made addictions and addictive uh, nature and personality and so forth something that is just endemic to the population.
2: It is so important to realise that fact. Um, Last week we spoke about Professor Robert Grant, an expert in trauma studies, that says that the only way to really overcome your addiction is to, and, and Professor Grant is not a Christian, but he recognizes that the only way really to overcome it is to reconnect back with God. Now, he continues saying that God can be, you know, any substance, anything that you identify as God. But while you and I know that uh, there's only one true person that can really satisfy that inner restlessness, in humanity, and that is the only God that exists, the God of heaven and earth, mm. because He is the one ultimately that defines our worth and value by way of the enormity of the price that his son has paid for us. So in other words, my worth and my value, uh, as, as someone who is a recovering workaholic, uh, my worth and value is not spoken by the approval and the acceptance that I get from from my employer, but in actual fact, from Him who actually gave His life for me. So my life value and worth is equal to not my performance and people's approval, but is in reality equal to Him who gave His life for me. Is equal to Jesus Christ. Period.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've probably mentioned this before, but if we look at the, uh, the anonymous programs, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Gambling Anonymous, you know, the, uh, 12 step programs, the secular versions of this don't work. Exactly. exactly. And the research is out there. The secular versions just simply, simply do not work. When you've cut God out of the equation, then there are no results.
2: AA was an utter failure at the time where it had no reference to God in there. Then they brought God in, became a worldwide success. And they slowly moving away from uh, a, a more humanistic look at God, in other words, pantheism, anything. Uh, my car, my, my table can become God for me. Uh, and, and in so doing, the question is are we moving back into what we used to have before.
0: Yes, because without a personal God, without a personal relationship, without uh, a a God that we can communicate with and interact with, you know, I can't communicate with my car or interact with my car in the way that I interact with a person. So what benefit do I get from choosing, you know, some object as a God for myself? Uh, You know, we, we kind of find that... It's kind of like going back to the pagan gods of the past who were symbolized by, you know, a stone carving or a wooden carving or whatever it might be. And we kind of look at that as being, well, that was kind of old fashioned and and, and a bit ridiculous back in the day, but it almost seems like we're coming full circle here.
2: And what's interesting, if we look at that old, uh, you know, type of worshipping gods that we could create, it means in reality that I am greater than the gods that I'm serving. Because I'm the creator of that God. And in a mind of uh, humanism, uh, I am creating my God as well. And and therefore, when I'm facing a major crisis, when I face an identity and a value crisis, um, I'm looking at something that I have created instead of him that has created me.
0: Even and when consider even, me- Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, 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 you go.
0: I was going to say, even when we consider the various religious options that there are around the world, it's impossible that there is any religion that creates more self-worth than Christianity because Christianity and, okay, so you and I are Christians and so we come from a very biased perspective on this because it's something we have experienced ourselves, but it's a religion in which we have a God who died for us. No other religion has that. That's right.
2: And I'll, in the years that I've done uh, you know, clinical therapy with people, and, and working with people with, with addictions, I've so often seen people come, sit down in my office and say, I know that this is a Christian place, I know that this is that to perform Christian therapy, but can you give me the information without any reference to any spirituality? And each one of those individuals would realize that as we work through a humanistic therapy, they will always reach a point where they can't go any further. And it is then that they eventually open up and say, so give me what other, you have more to give me from a Christian perspective. Let me decide. And it is phenomenal to observe how quickly transformation happens. It is as if God had created each one of us with a God-formed vacuum. That restlessness in every young person's life, a restlessness for something better, to, to reach an ideal, is an actual fact, in my discovery, a, a restlessness that only God can fill. And it is when people, drug addicts, allow God into, into their life uh, that their problems are resolved and are able to to move away from addiction. Um, you and I know individuals that I have worked with, you've known them before I knew them, uh, people that have given up on religion, moved away from it, uh, because of injury that they've experienced with with people that called them Christians. Mm. But in the process, they eventually move back and they realize that what they had in a relationship with God, not in a doctrine, not in a theory, not in religiosity, but in a personal intimate relationship with God was far better than what anything or anyone really could provide them.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's incredible to see you know, those lives being changed by that. I remember uh, just sort of an object lesson. You're talking about that God-shaped hole that is in every single one of us. Uh, one time I was at the top of Pikes Peak in the United States. And you know, this is 15,000 feet above sea level. And, of mm. course, you know, as I'm driving down, I've got this plastic water bottle there that was empty and it's just being crushed, you know, the lower I come in altitude, the more it's being crushed and crushed and crushed. And then of course, you know, I get to the bottom, I take the cap off and suddenly it's just like. And it just sucks in all of this air because, you know, the air pressure obviously inside and outside have been changing as it comes down. And it's almost like that. I've had this experience when, you know, I've met with people and they've been resisting and resisting and resisting Christianity and they don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. And they're like, you know, why do you Christians talk about sin all the time, all this kind of thing? And then when suddenly they allow themselves because I'm like, well, hey, one of the reasons we talk about sin is because I would never swap my life with your life, not in a million years. Um, but then when they open up and they come to the point, it's like, okay, I'll give it a try, and they just take that cap off, mm. and suddenly there's this natural reaction in the human heart which just, you know, just, it just draws God in because that's been the missing thing that has been causing them to be crushed for so long.
2: Yeah. We, we have been created to be in an intimate relationship with God. What our society has done, how we have grown up in, in the secular world, is that we try to fill that emptiness with stuff. We experience uh, shattering, uh, break up of relationships. We experience trauma and abuse uh, referred to last week. And we try to fill it up and eventually when nothing else around it uh It satisfies that deep inner yearning we then turn to either substance or people or relationship or or things around us to try and fill that hole but it's like putting a round peg into a square hole or the other way around there stays constantly a vacuum, an emptiness. A part of my life that is empty and not satisfied, and it is only when God is allowed in there, because that is the God-formed vacuum, only then do I discover true uh, fulfillment in my life. And I'm able to move away and I've seen that miraculous experiences happening in people's lives. It's one of the most satisfying experiences in my life, is to see someone that's been addicted alcohol, to drugs or to to sex or whatever, be able to be set free, not with uh, religiosity because that can also be a form of, of addictive uh, nature, but rather a, an intimate relationship with Christ.
0: Mm. David Hubb, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM. Really appreciate what you've got to say there and I guess one of the things that we we didn't really get time to delve into but I wanted to was the vicious cycle this creates where we lack self-worth so we go to a substance or whatever it might be and then we hate ourselves for having gone to that substance and we hate ourselves even more every time we go back and so our self-worth goes lower and lower and lower which means we become more and more addicted but um, yeah David thank you so much for joining us we're going to move on with the show
2: thanks for being a part of the faith fm family join our community on facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM